Thanks, everybody. Great to be with you uh, this morning. It's wonderful uh, for me. I moved here to Melbourne in 1990 and started what is known as Stairway Church uh, with my wife and uh, eight other people. And uh, in those days, the best thing about Melbourne was the Hume Highway because it went back to Sydney. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but now we are very genuinely Melbourneites and, uh, and love this city. But, um, yeah, just great to be in this environment. I, I don't know what was going on in the worship for me, but uh, just so many memories of when we started and where we were like this, and, uh, and these are really great days for you. These are just wonderful days in the life of a church, and you uh, look back and you see how God just does miracle after miracle after miracle. So it is a great joy uh, to be here with you. This morning, and uh, just to answer the question that's still hanging in the air, I'm 66, so, uh, uh, well, uh, in September anyway, uh, in the next month. So, um, this morning, I just want us to go on a bit of a journey together. I'm wanting you to do some internal processing and consideration, and I want you to engage more with your heart than with your head, um, and so let me find a way to where I can help you to do that, and then we'll climb into the Word. So A.W. Tozer made this statement, which is quoted very regularly in all sorts of different situations. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When Jesus thought about his relationship with the Father, he thought about himself as being a servant of the Father on behalf of the world. He saw that he was here to help the Father's agenda. He saw that he was here to help the Father's assignment come to pass. And so he thought of himself as a servant of the Father on behalf of the world. And so we are image bearers of Jesus. We are called to be like him. And so inside of our world, we're called to see that we are also servants of the Father on behalf of the world. That's why we're primarily here. We're here to enjoy all that the earth offers us, but God has a plan, He has a purpose, He has calling and He has assignments, and we all share in that individually, whether that's as a single mother raising three kids, whether it's as a doctor, whether it's as a builder, it doesn't matter what it is, we are all in our daily lives having opportunities to be servants of the Father on behalf of the world. And so when it comes to being image bearers, when it comes to being like Jesus, if Jesus was a servant of the Father, what does it look like to be a servant? To be a servant, we need to do two things. One, we need to know who it is that we're serving well, and we also need to know what they're like. And so in that space, what we think about the Father is important. Who do you know him to be, and what do you think that he's like? And so this morning, I want to explore that with you. I want to explore what you think about the Father and who you know him to be in your world. What I'm wanting to do is for you to think about what you think about him, and it's called your Father narrative. Now, here's the bit where I want you to step into some self-awareness. If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. If you squeeze a Christian, you should get Jesus juice. Who you are under pressure is who you really are. It's been wonderful this morning to worship with you and we've sung some wonderful words. But there's a whole bunch about those words that you don't actually believe in your heart because you're on a journey of transformation. So what we know in our head is one thing, but what we know in our heart is the most important thing. Because when life squeezes you, what actually comes out 
So when somebody offends you and you're squeezed by offence, what comes out? Do you find a way to try and have a conversation with them to discover what was happening in their world at that time? Or do you find a way to being right and withdraw? Jesus, you says, you find a way to have the conversation. It's really challenging, it's really difficult, but this is the thing about being a servant of the Father on behalf of the world, is that we're actually called to step into His world and step out of our world. Similar thing, when you're squeezed by somebody who betrays you, where do you go? What comes out of you? When we're betrayed, we're meant to forgive, but I find that when I'm betrayed, forgiving well, it's easier now because it's happened on numerous occasions. The first time it happened for me was in 1996 or 1997 when 380 people left our church. And that was a very difficult time for me. And the person that led the people out of the church used to be in a birdcage in my imagination. And uh, I don't know whether you're like this, but in the first early months, I would pull him out of the birdcage probably about 80 times a day and have the argument with him that I really wanted to have. And then I'd stick some pins in him and I'd put him back in the birdcage and close the door and then I'd pull him out again and have the same conversation now you're probably holier than I am but uh, but to be a servant of the father on behalf of the world means that we need to forgive but if you want to forgive deeply you have to be hurt deeply you'll never know how deeply you can forgive until you're deeply hurt and so so we we sang a wonderful song this morning about the father but I I actually want you to do some self-awareness as I go through what I'm going through this morning I just want you to monitor in your own heart And don't think about when life is good. I want you to think about when life is difficult and what your father narrative is. I believe the Lord is calling the church into a place where we would actually learn to love like he loves and that we wouldn't just be able to sing about it or talk about it, but it actually become a reality for us and that that when we're squeezed by life, love just comes out of us and people around us go, I want what they've got because that's what the world is looking for at the minute. So let me just pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would help us all this morning, including me. So Lord, I pray that as we spend time in your word together, Lord, help us to be self-aware. Help us, Lord, to consider when we're squeezed by life, what our narrative is of you. And as we discover that narrative this morning, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to transition towards who you really are and not, Lord, what we continue to wrestle with in our own inner worlds. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to identify our self-talk. I pray that you'd help us to identify the inner conversations that we have that defend our position of being right more than we surrender to being like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to do this, um, I've got to make this thing work. Uh, Oh, thank you. That's very good. I appreciate that. Um, I've got to double-click this every time, so I've got a whole bunch of slides that I want to go through, and hopefully you can read them from where you are. So we're going to start with John chapter 15 and uh, verses 9 to 11. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. A couple of thoughts as we climb into this together and we think about what is our narrative of the Father. The first is that keeping commandments is the key to abiding in love. Keeping commandments results in us abiding in love. We all know that love is the highest virtue that we can have as followers of Jesus. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. God is love. 
And so the way that we abide in love, this is a Greek word, menio, it means to remain. The way we remain in love is to keep the commandments. The second thing that we learn from this verse is that as we remain in love, that our joy is made full. And so keeping commandments is connected to joy. Keeping commandments is connected to having a joyful life. And so it's really important then for us to consider when we hear the words keep commandments, what do you actually imagine? Because what we imagine about words is actually more important than the word itself. And so when you hear the word keep commandments, what does that say to you? Because it actually shapes your father narrative. When you hear the word keep commandments, it actually shapes inside of you what you think about the father and who you know him to be. And so I want us to look at this word commandments and unpack it and see where it takes us. And there are two narratives of the father that I find that God's people live with. One, and there's only one right one, but we're all on a journey from one to the other. So the first narrative, are you, are you going to, no, I'm going to do this. Do I, where do I point this? Uh, stuff here, do I? I was just mucking around. So now I've gone too far. I clicked it too many times. Can you do, yeah, can. Thank you. I appreciate that. I need this hand to talk. So where do we go? Um. Thank you. So the first narrative comes from Genesis chapter 3 and it's based around the problem of sin. In this narrative, um, so I just, okay, that's where we go, great. In this narrative, this is how we hear the word commandments. The legislative behaviour that is required to remain in right relationship with God. And so when you hear the word keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love, if you have a narrative that's built around Genesis chapter 3 and you understand the commandments to be the legislative behaviour that is required to remain in right relationship with God, your narrative of God is that he is a judge. You carry the narrative that commandments, when you hear the word commandments, what are commandments? They are legislative behaviour that keep me in right relationship with God. And so when you hear the word, keep my commandments in the bottom of my love, what you're hearing deep down inside of your heart is do the right thing and you'll be loved by God, do the wrong thing and you'll be punished. Now this, we, we don't sing this, we sing the second narrative that I'm going to get to. But what I'm wanting to ask you today is not that you come with me on a journey in your head, but you come with a journey in, with me in your heart. And so what we find here is that if we see God as a judge, then we serve him through judgment. And what happens is that we then have relationships with other people based on their right behaviour. If you have right behaviour towards me, I'll have right relationship with you. But you have wrong behaviour towards me, I now have permission to have wrong behaviour towards you. And so, so this is something that we all struggle with. This is something, this is a journey that we're all on. So there's, there's no condemnation in here. I mean, I'm on the journey with you. We're, we're all on this journey together. But what we've got to do is actually think our way through this and process it and try to understand. And so you think about when you're driving on the road, how often do you judge the right behaviour of other drivers? When you're in the shopping centre and there are kids running amok or in an airport, how do you judge the child-raising behaviour of others? What's your response to our political leaders when they're making all sorts of decisions? What's your response to church leaders when they do things? There may be people in the room today that you've been in churches. Churches are renowned for bringing into place situations that are difficult for us to cope with. Why? Because we're all human beings. 
we've all got bits that we're trying to resolve, but, but in the situations that you've been in, where does judgment fit into some of the brokenness that you may be experiencing and wrestling with? And so what happens in here is that we've just got to be able to honestly answer the question, where does judgment fit in? Because the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. It says mercy triumphs over judgment. And if we're really honest, if we go into the depths of our heart and acknowledge what's actually going on, we find that we have judgment that pops up all over the place. And why does it pop up? I think it's because we haven't resolved the truth of our father narrative. And that is that we see commandments, keep commandments. We see it as the legislative behavior that is required to remain in right relationship with God. This is why Christians are really good at telling the rest of the world what they're doing wrong. So this is a father narrative that, that, that is very real and very alive. And it's not the narrative that ultimately if we keep commandments, we're going to end up abiding in love. Because when we keep commandments like this, we abide in judgment. So in this, uh, in this narrative, the next slide, thank you, um, what does sin look like? Sin is view, viewed as rebellion against God, which leads to a legal or forensic approach to our behavior. And so this narrative where it's coming out of Genesis chapter 3 and it's the problem of sin and we see commandments as the legislative behavior by which we need to behave, then we have a forensic approach where we're examining not only the behavior of others, but we also examine the behavior of God and our own behavior. And we, we end up treating ourselves in ways where we, where we withdraw from God because he's disappointed us. He hasn't turned up in the way we expected him to do, to be. And so, so this idea of judgment means that we can actually bring it against God as well. And, and this is where people start to slip away from their relationship with the Lord because he doesn't seem to deliver what they are expecting because their father narrative is one that's based out of Genesis chapter 3. And so we bring this forensic approach to our own lives as well and we end up feeling shame and guilt and we live with fear because we, we haven't actually comprehended that this narrative is running around inside of us and we need to deal with it and face it up and actually repent of it and walk away from it. In this narrative, the next thing that we find, thank you for the next slide, is that the emphasis is on God's use of regulations to restrain bad behaviour, to exercise power over people and to assess us as good or bad, making our performance the condition for acceptance. I've been in this gig for a long time. Uh, I've been following the Lord for 40 years. I've been a pastor for 37 of those 40 years, and, and I got to know a lot of people over that time. And, and when I actually talk to people, our words betray us because when they talk, they, they still have this idea that somehow God is against them because of what they've done. Or the, what I'm experiencing is because God is wanting to teach me something. And, and I, I listen to the words and, I, and I'm trying to help them to see your narrative of the Father is actually stuck in Genesis chapter 3 and the problem of sin. And your emphasis, what you're emphasizing in here is that God is actually using regulations to restrain your bad behavior, to exercise power over you, or to assess you as good or bad, making your performance the condition for acceptance. What then happens is it affects the quality of our relationships. Thank you. Next slide. It becomes focused on performance and effort resulting in shame, fear, guilt and condemnation. And so I want to say very gently to you this morning that as you go through self-awareness and you examine your own heart, if you find that you've got places of shame or fear or guilt or condemnation, I want to gently suggest to you that your father narrative is, it needs to go on a journey. Your father narrative needs to be brought to be before the Lord and say, Lord, can you help me to see you for who you really are? 
and that, that we don't just play church and we just don't try and put on the right face for other Christians to think that we're doing well, but we actually learn how to be real with one another and we can actually discuss these sorts of things with one another without feeling we're going to be judged because we're talking to somebody who's not operating out of this father narrative. And so, so where there is fear, perfect love casts out all fear. I have my own story, which I don't have time to tell today, about how I had to face my four, four primary fears in 2005 and 2006. And, and I ended up in a real mess because fear was dominating and influencing the way that I was living my life, leading what is now Stairway, loving Lynn, my wife and my three children, all sorts of things that the Lord had to deal with because I hadn't had a deep enough revelation of the love of God. Because it's what you know in your heart that matters more than what you know in your head because when you're squeezed by life does Jesus juice come out and if Jesus juice doesn't come out then that's the site for a miracle because now you've got something to offer God and say God I need your help and if you have this narrative of the father you'll think his help means to judge you but there is another narrative that we can all step into which I hope you'd like to step into with me this morning the second narrative thank you the next slide this comes from Genesis chapter 1 and so Genesis chapter 1 is all about God's relationship with his creation and his goodness. Genesis chapter 1, the theme of Genesis 1 is about relationship and creation and God's desire to be in relationship with human beings and his goodness and that he says that everything that he does is good and when he created man we were very good. And so this father narrative ends up, next slide thank you, where we see commandments remembering the key issue here is John chapter 15. Keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. I've kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. And when we do that, my joy will be in you and my joy will overflow in you. And then instead of seeing sour Christians, we actually see Christians who are celebrating like we did just for a minute this morning, which was a great, great thing to do. But I like to think that the echo will go away. Um, I'd like to think that that joy bubbles out of us all of the time, as apparently it does in Hannah. And so, so what we understand about the commandments is really important. What do you hear when you hear the word commandments? So in this second narrative, the word commandments means this. They're expressions of covenant love, knowing the choices we make are designed to serve and love the interests of God and others. So let me unpack it for you this way. The Ten Commandments. Let's think about the, the key commandments that we would quote if we heard the word Ten Commandments. The first three commandments are about how to love God. Love him with all of your heart, mind and soul. Don't make any idols and don't take his name in vain. The last six commandments are about how we love one another. Don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, don't commit adultery. Unfortunately, I have adultery in my background before I came to faith and I had an affair and Lynn and I separated and part of our story is the miracle of how God had brought us back together and rebuilt our marriage. But, but when I committed adultery, it hurt Lynn. Fortunately, we didn't have any children at the time. But adultery hurts children and it hurts extended family. It hurt Lynn's mum and dad and it hurt her brothers and sisters. It brought division. And so, so don't commit adultery is because that's not the way to love well. You don't abide in love when you commit adultery. You don't abide in love when you lie. When, when you lie, you're actually going to hurt somebody with your lies. It's the same with gossip. Gossip is just another form of lying because often what you're gossiping about, you don't know whether it's true or not. And so, so the commandments here are all about love. They're all about how you keep, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. If you keep these commandments, you'll abide in love because you'll love God and you'll love other people. 
Interestingly, the fourth commandment has got nothing to do with loving God or loving other people. It's about keeping the Sabbath. And the wonder of keeping the Sabbath is that it creates space in your world to reflect and ponder on how you're going in loving God and loving other people. That's why it sits right in between the three, the love God, first three, love God, uh, love people, last six. Right in the middle is a moment to reflect and a moment to ponder and a moment to think. And so that's what I wanted to do here this morning is to create a moment where we would actually stop and ponder and think about how we're loving God and how we're loving other people. God actually wants us to do this on a regular basis every, every week apparently, every seven days. And so do we actually create space? It's not just to stop working. It's not just to do all that religious thing about no, no effort. It's actually about making it a productive in, internal audit of, Lord, how am I going when I'm squeezed in when I, how I love you and how I love other people? So keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. When you hear the word commandments, what I hear is it's an expression of covenant love, knowing the choices we make, are designed to serve and love the interests of God and others. And so in this situation, sin then, next slide, thank you, is not falling short of rules and regulations. Rather, it's falling short in how we express Jesus' love. And so, so sin, for me, is not actually about my behaviour. Don't check out right now, because some of you just thought I was a heretic. I will convince you that I'm not. But, but, but sin is about falling short of love. The New Testament commandment is in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And so keep my commandments and you'll abide on my love. Keep the New Testament commandment because the New Testament commandment actually is a summary of the two great commandments of the Old Testament found in Matthew chapter 25, love God and love people. But Jesus actually rewrote the second of the two great commandments of the Old Testament, love one another as you love yourself. He's now saying love one another as I have loved you. He rewrote the second commandment because he actually wants us to love other people as he has loved us, not love other people as you love yourself, because we're all hopeless at loving ourselves because we all live with fear, shame, condemnation and guilt. Because we all tend to love ourselves through judgment. And so in the New Testament, we're actually meant to understand that if I'm meant to love other people as Jesus loves me, then sin is falling short of loving people as Jesus loves me. So let me just talk a little bit about sin in the way that we know it and help you understand that I'm not a heretic. So let me say this very clearly. Sin is real and it needs to be responded to with repentance. It's just a matter of what you're repenting from. So sin is real and it needs to be responded to with repentance. Seeking grace, that's empowering presence for change. However, sin is more than repentance from behaviour. Because behaviour is always the echo of belief. And so what you're repenting from is not the behaviour, although you do need to repent. I had to repent of my adultery. But what was more important that I had to repent from is what actually did I believe that gave me permission to believe that that was okay to do? When you lie, when you gossip, when, when, you, when you step into that space, what is it that you're believing that gives you the right to actually behave that way? Because behaviour is always the echo of belief. So our behaviour is just a signpost to a belief that God is wanting us to deal with. 
And so repentance is all about what I'm believing. I need to repent from how I'm giving myself permission to not love in the way that Jesus loves. And it's that, and so that's where we need the Lord to show us what am I believing because most of us don't take the time to stop on a regular basis to actually say, Holy Spirit, what is it that's underneath my lying? What is it underneath my gossiping? What is it that's underneath my pornography addiction? What is it that's underneath all this stuff that this behavior, behavior is just the fruit. It's, it's not the root. Behavior is always just, it's the echo of belief. And so, so I need to come before the throne of grace in time of need, understanding that I have a God who loves me and cares about me so much that he wants to set me free from the prisons of belief that I've put myself in that are causing me to behave in a way that's not helpful. And so in this space, behavior is the fruit of a root that is not love like Jesus loves. So yes, I, sin is behavior. Absolutely, it's behavior. But the power of behavior is found in what you believe. And so when we believe that God is, the judgments are the legislative behavior of a God that wants us to behave in a certain way, then when it comes to repenting of sin, we're just repenting of behavior, but we're not actually dealing with the root of the problem. When we begin to see that sin is falling short of loving like Jesus loves, then I begin to assess my life from a completely different place. And I'm going, Lord, I, I need to experience your love in a deeper way so I can give it away. Because at the minute if I'm lying or gossiping or if I've got a pornography addiction or whatever it is that people are wrestling with, then what's underneath it is the real issue. And I need your grace, your empowering presence to change that. And that's what I need to bring to you knowing that I'm bringing it to a God of love, a God of acceptance. Therefore, we're asking for God's grace to be self-aware and take personal responsibility for beliefs that lead us to falling short of love. And so I want to encourage you to think about your relationship with God as not being focused on your behaviour, but being focused on your belief. And that the commandments are actually all about an expression of covenant love, knowing the choices we make are designed to serve and love the interests of God and others. And that, that I come before the throne of grace to a God who loves me and say, God, I need to see your love more deeply and how you've loved me so that I can love others, so that when I'm squeezed by life, Jesus' juice comes out. And so what do you do with your offence? What do you do when people are lying about you? What do you do when you're betrayed? What do you do when you find out somebody that you love is addicted to pornography? What, what do you do with all of those emotions and feelings? Where do you go? Do you go to a place of judgment and the need to be right? Or do you go to a place of, God, I actually need to be an image bearer and I really want to learn, Lord, how to love in this situation? So what that means in this uh, little set of slides that I put together this is the emphasis. The next slide, thank you. When we start to live like this, the emphasis is on our adoption into the family of God as a covenant community of love, where our walk with God is relational, not judicial in nature, where we practice our new life in Jesus by loving as Jesus loved. And the one and others of the New Testament represent the outworking of our spirituality. This is why the one and others of the New Testament are so profound. It's why it's all the way through the New Testament. 89 times there is a reference to the way we treat one another. 
And it's because the, the New Testament writers, the apostles, they, they understood when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. We can't just give lip service to these words because this is what will change the world. And so, so there needs to be this sense of self-awareness and personal responsibility where when I'm not keeping the commandments... It's not because I'm a bad person that's got bad behaviour. It's because I've got these belief systems that the Holy Spirit's trying to change. He's trying to release revelation to me that I would be more like him. Because I, so so th- here's a question for you to consider. How do you measure your spirituality? Do you measure your spirituality by how many church programs you're involved in? Wonderful. I lead, I lead a church. I'm building a church. I, I celebrate that, but that's not how we should measure our spirituality. Do I measure my spirituality by the fact that I pray every day? Well, I know lots of people that pray every day, but are still doing things that aren't all that helpful when it comes to love. How do I measure my spirituality? How do I assess my spirituality? How do I assess my spiritual development? The scripture is very clear that we assess our spirituality on the basis of how well we're loving like Jesus loves. And we do that by keeping the commandments and the commandments, the Ten Commandments, all about loving God, loving people. And the fourth one is having a time to reflect on how I'm going with all of that and coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I really need some help here. I'm not doing so well right now in the way that I'm thinking about these people and the way I'm treating them. And I, I, I need that to change. What then happens... Uh, the next slide, thank you, is that the quality of our relationships is focused on acceptance and grace, resulting in trust, surrender, reliance and gratitude. And so when we live in, out of this place of being pursuers of love, pursuers of loving God and loving one another, being self-aware and taking personal responsibility for when I'm squeezed by life and Jesus' juice doesn't come out, and I go, Lord, I, what is the belief system that's sitting under it? Why am I giving myself permission? What is it about this that I give myself permission to be critical of this other person? Because Jesus is never critical of you. What is, it that's, what is my belief system that allows me to judge this other person? Because, Lord, you didn't come to judge the world. You came to save the world. And so where's that permission coming from? Where's that belief coming from that I can stand in judgment of another person when you say mercy triumphs over judgment and judge not lest you be judged? You see, the, the, the scripture is meant to be a mirror. It's, it's a mirror that we hold up in front of us and we look into it and you go, hmm, that's not reflecting back what I want it to reflect back. And so it's a mirror that says I now have an opportunity because I want to become a lover of God and a lover of people to the depths of my being. That I, that I don't just sing about it, as wonderful as the lyrics are and as true as they are, but I actually stop and reflect and go, Lord, I need help to love better. And this is what will change the world. Jesus said it will change the world. He changed the world through love. He changed the world because he came from a God who is love. And so what's the quality of our relationships end up looking like? The next slide, thank you, which you're not going to be able to read because there's too much information on it. And when you get the bigger screens on either side, it'll be great. But here all I'm trying to do is to contrast the two things that we've looked at. What is your father narrative? Is your father narrative built out of Genesis chapter 3 and the problem of sin? 
or is your father narrative built out of Genesis chapter 1 and relationship and goodness? When you hear the word commandments, what do you hear? Because when you keep your commandments, that's how you abide in love. Are you trying to keep the commandments under narrative 1, the legislative behaviour that is required to remain in right relationship with God, or are you trying to keep expressions of covenant love, knowing the choices we make are designed to serve and love the interests of God and others? Do you view sin as rebellion against God, which leads to a legal or forensic approach to our behaviour, or is sin is not falling short of rules and regulations, rather it's falling short in how we express Jesus' love? Is your emphasis on God's uh, use of regulations to restrain bad behaviour, exercise power over people and assess us as good or bad, making our performance a condition of acceptance? Or is the emphasis our adoption into the family of God as a covenant community of love where our walk with God is relational, not judicial in nature. We practice our new life in Jesus by loving as Jesus loved and the one and others of the New Testament represent the outworking of our spirituality. I'm not asking you to consider what you think and know in your head because you'll all agree with me because of the way this church has been raised and taught that narrative chapter two, uh, narrative two is the right one. I'm not asking you to tell me what's right with your head I'm asking you to think about the way you live. Which has got nothing to do with me. That's why I'm not asking you to stand up and confess it. But it's got everything to do with you and your relationship with God. Because are you a servant of the Father on behalf of the world? Because that's how Jesus understood his relationship with God. That he was a servant of the Father. The Father, God is love. A God who wants to release love into the world in the way that it is in heaven, in the kingdom. And so what does the quality of your relationship look like with yourself, with God, with others and with creation? Are you focused on performance and effort resulting in shame, fear, guilt and condemnation? Or are you focused on acceptance and grace resulting in trust, surrender, reliance and gratitude? Three thoughts, one last scripture, then we'll all do some business with God because that's the whole purpose of this. First thought. Our true image of God, our true father narrative, is reflected in the way we love others or we judge others. You'll discover what your real father narrative is by the way that you love others or you judge them. Remembering my commentary that we all start with narrative, the first narrative of judgment, and we're all on a journey towards love. There isn't one person in the room that's got this narrative, the second narrative, right. Because we've, we've all been raised with judgment and performance. That's another whole set of messages. But, but we are predisposed towards religion and judgment because of the cultures in which we're raised. Because the father of this world has created culture that is all about judgment because he judged that he could be better than God. And so we've all been raised in cultures that have aligned us towards judgment more than towards love. And so we're all on this journey. It's just a matter of where you are on that journey. But sometimes you've actually got to be able to name what you're wrestling with to be able to wrestle with it. And so keep my commandments so you can abide in my love. The way you'll know what that means to you, you'll know what commandments mean to you by examining your behaviour. Is it one of love or one of judgment? That will tell you what your father narrative is. The second thought is this, is that Genesis 1 is about digging wells that sustain and enhance relationships. Genesis 3 is about building fences for who's in or, or in or out. So are you a well digger or are you a fence builder? Do you live your life as a servant of the Father on behalf of the world looking to dig wells that sustain and enhance relationships? 
When you're at odds with someone, are you thinking about how do I protect the relationship or are you thinking about how do I prove I'm right? What, what happens with, with Genesis chapter 3 is that we build fences to decide who's in and who's out. And so we're saying that right behaviour equals right relationship. That, that is a flawed way of thinking if you're going to be a kingdom person. And so Genesis chapter 1 is all about digging wells of life that sustain and enhance relationship. And so, so it's what am I doing to protect the relationship? What are the conversations I need to have? What do I need to discover? What do I need to know that I don't already know? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to repent to? Who do I need to be humble with? Who do I need to apologise to? Apologies are just so frightening, aren't they? Because it might mean that I have to accept that I'm a part of the problem. All of this can only happen when the work of the Spirit of God is allowed into our hearts. And when we give him access into the depths of our being and we acknowledge that when I get squeezed, juice as juice doesn't come out. And so therefore I need the Spirit. There's a sight for a miracle right there. My journey with the guy who led all those people out of our church back in 1996 and 97 was to stop taking him out of the birdcage and sticking pins in him every day. I knew I'd forgiven him when the, on the day that I opened that birdcage and I opened my hand and I let it go. I said, I don't need to have that conversation anymore because I've forgiven you. I don't need to be right. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to prove anything. You're free. You see, the thing about judgment, it's just such a weird thing. It's a poison that we drink that we only kills us. We think it's killing the other person. Judgment's a poison. The other person doesn't even know you're upset with them. It's just killing you. This is why Jesus came to set us free. First thing, first thought, our true image of God is reflected in the way we love others or we judge them. The second is that Genesis 1 is about digging wells that sustain and enhance relationship. Genesis 3 is about building fences to decide who's in and who's out. The third thought is this, is that the nature of God is not to exact punishment. The nature of God is to establish righteousness and renew his creation into his image. The nature of God is not to exact punishment. The nature of God is to establish righteousness and renew his creation into his image. And so what am I going to join myself to? Am I going to try and exact punishment? Or am I going to join myself to the pursuit of righteousness and renewing the world to the image that God created to be? Am I going to be like Jesus and be a servant of the Father on behalf of the world? My final set of thoughts is here in uh, Colossians. Thank you. Last slide. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. When you think about proclaiming the gospel, which is the great privilege that we all have, Often the gospel is, is proclaimed more akin to the guy that stands on the corner in Melbourne with an A-frame over him saying, repent or burn. You know, it's, it's, repentance is all about your behaviour and going to hell. It's about punishment. 
rather than a gospel that Paul was preaching where he was saying God isn't trying to exact punishment. He's already done that. He's punished Jesus on our behalf. He punished Jesus and our sin on our behalf so that we can now be reconciled. So the first thought out of Colossians 1, chapter 21 to 23, is that the business of God is reconciliation. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. The activity of the kingdom of God is to restore everything back to the way God originally intended it to be. That's why Chris Gore's pursuit of healing is an activity of the kingdom because he's restoring people back to the way God originally intended them to be. That is healed and not sick. That's why healing is important because it's an activity of the kingdom of God. It's why salvation is important because it's restoring us back to who we were originally intended to be in the family of God, not separated from the family of God. And so reconciliation, and so we're ambassadors of reconciliation. Reconciliation means that I'm trying to find a way through my judgment. I'm not trying to stand in my judgment. I pursue reconciliation. I do what needs to be done to be reconciled. It doesn't necessarily mean the people on the other end of my pursuit are going to respond, but I have to take responsibility before God to be able to be somebody who can say, I'll I'll do what I need to do to be reconciled. But if they don't want to be, then I can't do anything about that. So reconciliation is the first thing. We're reconciled to God. And so because we've been reconciled, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. The second thing it says here is that we've been made holy, blameless and beyond reproach. We've been made righteous. We have right standing with God and we now learn to live in right relationship with one another. And so, so reconciliation is connected to righteousness and it's connected to being in right relationship with one another. Not just right standing, but right relationship with one another. The third thing that Paul says is that it's the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is going way beyond our behaviour and it's recovering love and goodness. And so the gospel of Jesus, that Paul preaches is, a, is all about recovering love and goodness. It's, it's not about judging people for their behaviour. The way that we present the gospel, people go, I don't want that because I just feel like you're judging me. But what they do want is love. They want to be accepted. Last thought before I ask you all to stand with me so I can pray is this, is that one of the issues that we do need to figure out is the way the world defines love compared to the way that the Bible defines love. The world defines love as permissible love. It says that love is based on acceptance and approval. Acceptance plus approval equals love. It's called permissible love. That is not biblical love. Biblical love is redemptive love. It's a a love that says, I accept you, but I can't approve of the things that you're doing where you're not loving well. But that doesn't mean that I don't accept you and it doesn't mean that I won't believe in you and care for you and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I can't approve of that. That's called redemptive love because redemption assumes something has to be redeemed. Redemptive love assumes that there's something that has to change, that has to be different. And that's what the biblical love is, redemptive love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. It's called redemptive love. And so what we've got to wrestle with in the way that we express all that I've talked about this morning is that our inability to offer approval for the way that people are treating one another doesn't mean that we can't accept them and let them know and just not even make any comment commentary about the approval issue that's entirely between them and god but i accept you for who you are i'm not here to judge you i'm not here to say whether you're right or wrong i'm just here to believe in you all right today is the sabbath
It's a day of reflection and pondering. Let's close our eyes because that helps remove the distraction. So now I just want you to think about you and your relationship with God. I want you to think about you and your relationship with others. And I want you to think about you and your relationship with yourself. As you think about those three relationships, when you're squeezed by life, is there an area where judgment's coming out more than there is love? Are you judging yourself? Are you judging God? Or are you judging others? Is there a father narrative inside of you that when you hear the word, keep my commandments, you hear God as a judge? Right behavior equals liability to have a right relationship. If you are judging yourself, you're living with fear or shame or condemnation, the Lord wants to set you free from it. One of the keys to being set free from it is understanding who the Father really is. The Father's not focused on your behavior. The Father's focused on what you're believing. It's probably change with It's probably the word. It's probably the word down there to us and transform us. It's probably conform this world, but you transform whether it's young or So just think of one area where, not, not your whole life, just find one area where when you're squeezed, you're judging yourself, or you're judging God, or you're judging others. I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you understand how you're giving yourself permission to feel that that's okay. Because He's not doing that. Father's not doing that. He's not judging you in the way that you are. Father's drawing close to you and He wants to have a conversation. So help me understand what makes it acceptable that you believe that. You understand how you've come to the conclusion that it's all right to do that so Holy Spirit I pray that you would bring a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would help us to see the beliefs that we're carrying help us Lord to go on a journey with our father narrative help us Lord to to really understand that keeping commandments is all about covering love and expressing love us Lord to value love value right relationship Lord, I, I pray as we think about where we're hurting ourselves or others in our relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that right in that part of everybody's thought life right now, it would help them to increase their value for love, their value for being in right relationship. I pray, Lord, that where we've diminished the value for love and made it about being right, ask, Lord, that not only would you forgive us, but you would empower us to change. Lord, I pray that you give people keys today to know how to get out of that prison. Lord, to adopt behaviour. Because their belief has changed.
these are not profound words of knowledge. This is just me having talked to people for 40 years to know that there'll be people, some, there'll be people in this room that Lord will be speaking to you about needing to humble yourself and say sorry to somebody. But part of the solution that the Lord's offering you is that you would actually go and apologize. There are others here that you, you need to forgive someone. There are others here who your relationship with God has been damaged because you don't understand something that the Lord wants to help you to live with the mystery. There are others here that carry shame and the Lord wants to set you free from that shame. He's not ashamed of you. So you don't need to be ashamed of yourself. But the Lord will be showing you what to do with that shame. And to come out from underneath what other people say about you and come underneath what God says about you. So Lord, for each of us in our own journey, we just release grace, empowering presence. Sees the miracle of change take place. In Jesus' name. Thank you.